Hello, you're welcome to If I Were the Minister for Education from OnShot.net. Episode 41. Add an initiative, remove an initiative. Hello there, you're very welcome to If I Were the Minister for Education. This is Simon Lewis. I'm not sure if you're supposed to promote another podcast on your own podcast, uh, but there's a proper Irish education podcast out there called Inside Education, which has been around for years, over a decade now, with hundreds of episodes. It's presented by Sean Delaney and every week he generally interviews someone involved in something to do with education. And when I was a bit more involved in the area of technology and education, I used to get interviewed by him quite a bit. Now, as you also know, while I was on the board of directors of the IPPN uh, up until recently enough, one of the criteria for me being on the board was I had to stop doing this podcast and any kind of opinion stuff uh, that I was doing on onshaw.net. And as I'm sure I've already said, and I do promise I'll get over it soon, there were so many things that have happened since December 2019 when I joined the board. Um, for example, when the New Brunswick model was first being touted, where, and I really, really wanted to rant and rave about it, but I couldn't. Um, my absolute top one was um, actually about the INTO not publicly declaring their support uh, for the TUI strike action due to unequal pay Uh, and only weeks before that they'd issued a press release to mark their unequivocal support for the secretary's pay strike for fair pay and I suppose um, more recently uh, the Debenham strike and all the rest of the stuff going on. Anyway now that I'm free to say it I'm saying it again. I'm saying it now and I'll say it anytime I can. Um, I just um, I know that uh, I I was bursting to say that to be honest with you. Uh, but anyway, uh, that's, uh, oh, I feel good now. Anyway, where was I going on uh, about uh, podcasting and inside education and the board of directors of the IPVN? Well, in somewhat ironic fashion, weeks after I was banned from podcasting, um, three members of the board of the IPPN were being interviewed on Sean Delaney's podcast. Now, now don't worry, I did, ma- I did slag them off uh, about it. But anyway, that's not why I'm telling you this. Why I'm telling you this was because my good friend, uh, Damien White, who's currently the president of the IPPN, told a really good story on his interview with Sean Delaney. Um, It was, I I guess, an explanation as to why the IPPN decided to stop being disruptors. That's his words and not mine, um, because, um, you know, I, I like disruption. And uh, I, w- I liked the IPPN being disruptors, which is why I kind of joined them. Uh, I probably joined them ten, uh, ten years too late. But um, anyway, um, they, he, he talked about why the IPPN made the deliberate move not to being not being disruptors, and decided to work together with the INTO and other stakeholders um, uh, along with the Department of Education. And he used this great analogy. Uh, and the analogy was of two donkeys uh, tied together with rope and both of them trying to reach two buckets of food and when the donkeys basically didn't work together they pulled against each other and they never reached their bucket and this is an old story i i I guess and however when they actually worked together and they saw they could go to the bucket number one first and then move together to go to bucket number two they both got to eat 
And this was his analogy about why uh, they stopped being disruptors and decided to do uh, to work in collaboration with uh, these entities. Now, it's a good story, but I felt it was missing a character in the story. And the character they were missing here was the farmer. You see, the problem here is that Damien mistook the Department of Education for one of the donkeys, to put it blunt. <laughs> I, I kind of like the fact that he was referring to donkeys, but anyway, I, 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 that's not fair uh, because, uh, well, it isn't fair at all. Um, I, I, I don't know a lot about donkeys, but um, maybe maybe they think everybody around them is a donkey, you know, for example. Uh, I, don't, I mean, donkeys may not recognize humans or they may not recognize farmers or anything else, but the Department of Education are no donkeys, definitely not. The Department of Education is the farmer. Now, think about it. What does the farmer do? Well, he's the one or she's the one that's filling up the buckets with the food or, in our case, the workload or the initiatives or the extra responsibilities. And they're the, f uh, the farmer is the one cutting down the food supply in terms of resources. Um, allocations of, uh, of need and so on, money. And the IPPN and the INTO are certainly the donkeys along with the other donkeys and they find themselves working together to eat it all up. Now the very odd time the farmer does go a little too far and takes away too much of their food and one of the donkeys might let out a growl. Now I don't know if donkeys actually growl but some sort of hee-haw of some sort. And however, no matter what way one looks at the story, the only character in the analogy who is in charge of things is the farmer. And the donkeys can pull against each other or they can work together, but ultimately the buckets will only be as full as the farmer lets them. Now I'm not suggesting um, that any of the people in the story are actually donkeys. This analogy was uh, uh, made on that podcast. You can listen to it. It's a really good episode. It explains what the IPPN is and, um, and talks about the conference. For those of you who have uh, never been, uh, well worth a listen uh, to uh, most of his episodes, in fact. In fact, uh, if you are listening to any particular or want a good taster of a recent episode, um, Sean Delaney does a big riff, as he calls it, on homework. And it's well worth listening to. Really, really good research-based um, analysis of homework uh, very much unlike my recent homework episode which uh, while uh, I would say I researched certainly uh, wouldn't have the caliber of research that Sean Delaney has. Anyway let us move on to my point and this episode which is if I were the Minister for Education if I was to add an initiative I would have to remove an initiative. When Ireland went into recession, there was a weird shift in the mindset of the stakeholders in education. And from about 2011 on, it got worse, in my opinion. A move, effectively, to the right in simple terms. The Labour Party, when they got into power, moved from being a, a sort of centre-left wing party to a centre-right wing one, as far as, I mean, I don't think, uh, I don't think I'm being inaccurate saying that. Fianna Gael became a little more right-wing, with a smile, or maybe more accurately, a smirk, and all of a sudden, all the stakeholders followed them. The union moved across the centre point from being a left-wing agency 
to being a right-wing entity, which makes absolutely no sense. And if you don't believe me, you, 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 I mean, you need to listen to John Boyle's comments about the Labour Party. Um, and um, they can be found anywhere uh, you, you want to find them. Twitter uh, is where John Boyle does a, a lot of his work. Uh, and you can judge for yourself. He's, he, his language is genuinely and I don't like to say this about a, a, a person I, li- I know, um, but the language used in some cases genuinely was uh, quite Trumpian. Um, it, it's astonishing. Um, for example, uh, phrases like the failed minister, Rory Quinn. Now, the only thing I can think of to say about that is sad. I mean, except in the actual meaning of the word. The results of this um, downing of, um, I suppose, a Labour Party member, or uh, what saw the union basically acting as a vehicle for the Fine Gael and Labour attack on education, really, which was very, very strange. I mean, they literally did nothing to stop the cuts that were imposed on teachers and students. Instead, they built up this really new, kind of really interesting new model for the organisation under Sheila Noonan. Um, what I would describe, I, and I can only describe, as instead of a union, I would describe it as a theocracy. Now, when I first joined the union, union meetings consisted of members telling CEC reps how things were going, and the CEC reps brought this information back to the head honchos, and then things happened. After 2011, this setup totally changed. The head honchos told the CEC reps what to tell the ordinary members, and that was that. In just a simple flip, the organisation moved from being a bottom-up democracy to a full-on top-down theocracy, where the INTO simply became the messengers for the Department of Education. Now, I know I'm sounding very harsh there, but I, I, would, I would challenge you to disagree with that. The consequences, you see, of this are well known, and particularly to LPTs, lower paid teachers, who were sold down the river when the INTO recommended that members voted on the Haddington Road Agreement. Now look, I'm reliably told that the INTO didn't know that this meant that we'd have a two-tier pay system that came about that. And whether I believe that or not really doesn't matter because to me, once it came in and nothing happened, for me, this was the INTO's acceptance of a two-tier pay model, one that still 10 years later almost, has not actually um, been rectified. And all the huffing and puffing from the plinths at Congress do nothing, absolutely nothing, because the leadership did nothing. And I remember Sheila Noonan's last ever speech where she nearly broke out the champagne announcing the government had agreed to a pathway to pay equality eight years after the pay equality scandal. As, um, and the next day, Pascal Dunhu basically said he never committed to anything. And the, ho- the, the whole thing was shocking. I don't, I don't generally, I, I mean, I, I forget a lot of things, but there's a lot of things I don't forget. And that was, um, felt, I felt it was, it was quite embarrassing. So where am I going with this? I, I haven't even actually mentioned initiatives at all. And uh, we, I've been ranting for, I suppose, at least um, 12 minutes uh, almost. Um, well, I'm not just trying to fill in time. Yes, I want these podcasts to be about 30 minutes long, but that's not the purpose of the rant. (laughs) The purpose was to set the context, as I see it. And now that I think we have it, this is where the initiative started flowing in in an uncontrollable manner. And in this case, rather than being, um, 
I suppose rather than being um, I mean even defended against or even attacked by the INTO they were completely supported by them let's start at the beginning Jobbridge and let's look at the story of Jobbridge many of you may not have worked during the time of Jobbridge the government basically had had cuts uh, cut staffing in schools so uh, much that principals and especially teaching principals were trying to do more for less remember that catchphrase you recession people um i don't know survivors i i hate using the word survivors it's such a oh, an awful phrase uh, but anyway uh, yes we were all encouraged to be doing more for less especially at the time with the moratorium posts uh, oh wait a second that still has happened and the Croke Park hours uh, and the added responsibilities and there were loads of people in Ireland that were unemployed at that time including teachers in fact at that time it was almost impossible to get a job as a teacher uh, for example I remember uh, I think it was around 2012 2013 getting over 400 applications for a maternity leave position and with all this unemployment messing up employment statistics the government introduced a concept called job bridge and Jobbridge was a scheme where someone could get 50 euro extra on top of their dole for doing an internship. Now for teachers, it was sold as a way for a school to get an extra person, maybe a teacher to do their dip. And it only, not only didn't the INTO oppose this, the, the INTO didn't, didn't oppose this, they actively encouraged it. Oh, and before I'm told this is fake news, the evidence is easy enough to find, thanks to the Worker Solidarity Movement who released the following statement on the 12th of February 2011. And it reads, at a conference in Croke Park, Dublin today, delegates also voted to instruct the Union's Central Executive Committee to issue a directive to all union members not to participate in the scheme. The gulf between the union membership and the leadership was evident when the only delegates voting against the directive were members of the CEC. It carries on to say, in a move that has come today to show just how out of touch they are with the feeling of members on the ground, the CEC instead entered talks with the Department of Education and Skills on the implementation and monitoring of the scheme. The internet is a wonderful place to find truthful information. And to me, the last decade could basically be summed up in that paragraph. The government imposed a new initiative and ordinary INTO members express their opposition towards it and then the leadership of the INTO completely ignore that and go into discussions with the Department of Education. Here's some examples. Drihid. 90% of INTO members voted in a motion for the INTO to issue a directive against the introduction of Drihid. And rather than accept this, the INTO then, after getting a 90% rejection of Drihid, the INTO then held and special congress where they invited their mates and they did in the words and in the words of John Carr afterwards to get Drihid over the line and more recently when it came to the latest pay deal the INTO had to ballot their members as to whether they would accept the deal and this was the P PSSA deal for those of you who remember it's only a year ago uh, when I'm recording this 53% of ordinary INTO members voted to reject the deal after an astonishing campaign from the INTO leadership to encourage people to vote in favour of the deal so blatantly and it was it was shocking and completely disregarding a previous motion at Congress where they were told they were not allowed to recommend any further pay deals and they just ignored that 
Worse then, once the vote actually went through, one might expect that the INCO then accepted the democratic vote of the members. To hell they did. They completely ignored that too. And I don't use the word literally often as often because it's a cliche and I hate cliches, <laughs> but they literally ignored the vote and carried on as if the PSSA deal was accepted. This was last year, 2019. So ultimately from 2011 to 2019, the INTO were part of a system that enabled our profession to be in a much worse position than it needed to be. However, to me, the PSSA vote was the last straw and I said on Onshaw.net that this was the day the INTO could no longer call itself a union. And I stand by that. And now let's get to the point <laughs> again, because that's all that matters. Since 2011, primary education has had to accept several new initiatives and increases to our workload with absolutely no pushback from the union. And much of it rests on the principal's shoulders but it trickles down to all staff in the school because it is simply impossible for principals to do everything. Now, I won't be able to remember every single thing that was imposed on us without opposition, but I'll list what I can remember. And suffice to say, the job I started in 2008 is completely alien to the job I have now in 2020. And that's not because of COVID-19, uh, just for those of you who might uh, think that's the reason. For example, look at finance. Any school that doesn't have an accountant hired now must either have an overworked secretary, a principal doing the books, or a school acting illegally. Since the introduction of RCT, the workload of day-to-day -day finances has grown and grown to a point where schools are now receiving as many circulars from the FSSU as they are from the Department of Education. Schools have huge financial responsibilities, which would be fine if resources were put into schools to allow this to happen. But of course, it didn't, and it won't. And back to what we're actually supposed to be doing in our job, education. Let's look at SSE, another initiative. Yes, Rory Quinn's brainchild after a tiny blip in the 2009 PISA results. And over a decade later, despite the fact that the PISA results were a blip and were totally back to normal before SSE could even start to have an impact, we're still doing SSE for no reason. And I bet if you looked hard, as hard as you possibly could, you will not find one school in this country where the targets for their SSE haven't been met. And you know why? Because the whole thing is a tick the box exercise. And you know what we do? We tick that box every year. And for what? Just because we had a silly idea in 2011 that no one opposed to and we're left with it. And mad stuff being done for SSE. But anyway, I've already mentioned Drihid, as you know, so we're now doing the inspector's jobs. And speaking of doing other people's jobs, the continuum of support and the set allocation model uh, means that principals are doing some of the jobs of NEPS and part of the jobs of the NCSE. And sure, many of us are now doing the jobs of the HSE and don't get me started on TUSLA. If a child is absent for 20 days now, well, now the school has to do something about it. And if they want the NEWB or the EWO to get involved now, there's a nice six page form for us to fill out. How about a child protection matter? Well, before you make sure, you have to make sure that you've ticked all of the 65 points of the new child protection guidelines. Once a child is in the system, the school again has to do a lot of the social work. And as for the school completion program, well, I've, I've, I've talked about this um, on, a, on an episode, the form completion program as I call it now. I am genuinely, I mean, I, I, I am absolutely 
of all the things, well, it's not of all the things, I'm genuinely appalled at the INTO in the role on this. They have allowed this blatant change in work conditions to happen to homeschool community liaison teachers without a mutter. The, it is unreal that before the changes to the school completion program, by the way, I listened to that episode, by the way, but uh, you know, I can't, it would take too long to explain it. But effectively, all you need to know in this bit is before the school completion program changed in the, uh, two years ago, homeschool liaison teachers were uh, employed by their boards of management, they were under the instruction of their principals. They're now part of TUSLA, basically. TUSLA tell them what to do. Um, even though, yeah, I, I mean, they're, they're technically um, employed by schools. But Tusla basically get, tell them what to do. Th their conditions completely changed. And the INTO, what did they do? Nothing, nothing, not a thing. They allowed terrible, terrible changes to come through without any consultation with the very people making decisions. And what did they do for a full year of it coming in? Um, this is still on the school completion program. They held a listening meeting. And what did they do with that meeting, listening meeting? They've done nothing. And whatever tiny bit of respect I might have for the union, and honestly, I've, I, I've pretty much none except they, they, they seem to, to, to work a lot for free, basically. I mean, a lot of the INTO members do, do, a, do work really, really hard. And, I, and, and in fairness, you have to commend people who are loyal to the INTO for working really hard and for free. I'm talking about CEC reps and things like that. But any respect I had kind of went out the window was the treatment of schools in the school completion program. And I have begged, begged CEC reps uh, to um, to to bring this to the table, and um, nothing, nothing, and we're two and a half years into it, and I know COVID nineteen has happened. It shouldn't have gone. To, it shouldn't have gone the way it went. Anyway, look, that's just a few a few bits and pieces, and I know I've got particularly vexed by the school completion program one, uh, and that probably doesn't affect most schools, uh, but something there will have uh, affected you. Certainly, Drihid, certainly Tusla, certainly the NCSE, certainly the HSE, um, and all of which have gone unchallenged by the INTO. Look, post responsibilities haven't come back. Um, still, no protesting. The I mean, the IPPN, in, in their to to be fair, uh, have it as their as one of their priorities. The I INTOs sometimes uh, remember that it's uh, one of their uh, things. Remember, um, they um, threatened the Department of Education back in two thousand and sixteen that they they refused to do SSE. Uh, if they didn't um, give back all the posts of responsibilities. So the Department of Education gave back 48% of them and then they dropped the moratorium, the, you know, the, the, the SSE protest. So, you know, anyway. I, I, to be honest with you, um, you know, it's just appalling as I'm, as, I'm, as I'm kind of looking through my notes and looking at all these things. And every single year, you, when the government come up with all these new things and you just you've, you've kind of given up that anyone's going to defend you against them i mean if you look even now we're in the middle of covid 19 and the full the school inclusion model still seems to be coming along with snas now being front-loaded and there's not a peep out of anybody and this is a huge concern to everyone and i don't know i mean it's 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 it's, it's baffling uh, to know you're kind of on your own um and i mean for a little while while Richard Bruton was in charge, uh, they were coming up with these actions for the education system. In 2019, for example, they had 83 additions to our workload uh, in primary schools um, based on these key actions that they they're deciding. It was a kumasu. Uh, gosh, I remember doing an episode in the very early days of this podcast. I think it was the third ever episode. 
uh, called Kumasu Kumanacha. Um, and um, it, I went through the 83 additions to our workload. That went completely unchallenged. And what do the stakeholders do? Do you know what they do? They have a coffee and crack in the Department of Education offices at their primary workload forum, and they get year-long pauses on one or two things while a deluge of extra workload continues to flood in. Um, it's, it's just shocking. So if I were the Minister for, Edu edu uh, for Education, I'd have to stop all this silliness. And do you know what I would do? I would ensure a new rule. And for every new initiative I would introduce as the Minister for Education, I would have to remove one. So for example, if I wanted to introduce a new subject to the curriculum, I would have to remove one first. However, it should go further than this. For example, a few years ago, when GDPR and child protection legislation came in, something should have come out. There's a lot of unnecessary baggage in education. I mean, I think you won't be surprised to, to, to hear that I think SSE is an obvious one, but so is dread, and so is religion. Had to see. You'll never get through an episode without me mentioning religion. Anyway, and really, it's that easy. If I was going to introduce something new, something old would have to come out. So, for example, if we had to teach another hour of PE every week, uh, as was being sort of mooted uh, a while ago, to counter obesity, for example, we have to remove an hour of something else from the school curriculum. Or outside of the curriculum, if we add something to the school week, something of equal time has to be taken out and it should be provided by someone else. So I think the FSSU, that's the financial services one, is a good example. Put in FSSU by your own means, but then provide someone to do the work. So you're not increasing the work of the current staff. In the meantime, we need to look at reducing what we already have. And looking at the still overloaded curriculum, and funny now that I say it, I rarely ever hear that phrase these days. I remember when I started working uh, back in, the, in 2001, uh, the overloaded curriculum was the big buzzword. Uh, anyway, looking at the overloaded curriculum, emotive subjects like religion and Irish are obvious targets, but no one is likely to be brave enough to touch them. Drama looks like it's the favourite for the cull if it ever happens, and many schools unofficially have gotten rid of drama since SSE and the Literacy and Numeracy Plan came in. But on paper, I can imagine it would be like extracting like a very well-rooted tooth, let's say. Anyway, what I'm saying is, if that something new comes into the school, like what has already been happening, web safety, well-being, resilience, emotional awareness, circle time, um, mindfulness, and so on and on and on and on, then we have to look at removing some of what's there. And just as an aside, my favourite initiative that was tried to be introduced was actually during the Celtic Tiger, and it obviously didn't go anywhere, when it was argued that schools should teach students how to drive. Hmm. <laughs> I can imagine how that would go down. But one that does come up all the time, um, even, you know, every so often, it's usually Darina Allen, that we should be teaching children how to cook. Um, granted, uh, none of us have kitchens uh, to do that cooking, but anyway details details anyway i i don't have too much more to say uh on this issue um i in fact i think um i i think my introduction to the issue is probably 90 percent of the episode to be honest with you trying to give context because it's a very simple um episode this one uh, and you know effectively you know if the minister of education wants to introduce something he needs to take something away and that keeps things fairly consistent and you know, I mean, it's very tempting and I, when, when the Department of Education come at, come at us with extra workload. But, you know, it's easy to be angry with the Department of Education. They're only, they're only going to give what they can get away with. In the same way as the inspectorate gave us Drihid, because they could. Um, the NTSE, <laughs> I don't think they gave us anything uh, uh, at all, but they took stuff away 
because they could. NAPS gave us more stuff to do because they could. The EWO gave us uh, half of uh, their job to do because they could. TUSLA have given us, uh, uh, for the child protection and the things, they've given us loads of their job because they could. And really, the common denominator here is we don't have anyone defending us from this. I, n all of these things happened in the last 10 years. All of them um, have been allowed to come through without any um, disputes, without, uh, and, in, and in some cases, um, the uh, very people who should be defending us have uh, actively sought to ensure that the initiatives got through, uh, Drihid being the, uh, being the obvious example, uh, and Jobbridge before that. Um, so you can guess that while many of you are angry at the Department of Education when initiatives come through, my finger is pointed in one direction only, and that is to the union. Back in 2011, after uh, the job bridge victory, uh, basically when ordinary members for the very first time fought hard enough um, to uh, stop job bridge from coming into schools, um, the following was reported. This was a massive victory for the ordinary members of the union. It showed that when union members get together and organise in a coordinated and cogent manner that we can prove that the union belongs to the members and not to the leadership. However, why should it be that way? The union's job is not to fight against its members, it's to protect its members. And getting Drihid over the line, to quote John Carr, was a disgraceful act by the union, and ignoring the vote on the PSSA was unforgivable. Now, the only way back for the union, in my book, is for them to start doing their job, and that's to remember their position. And that is to defend teachers um, from work uh, from disimproving work conditions. Um, I'm recording this in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic, as most of you will know uh, if you're listening to it uh, at the time it's released. But uh, if you're listening to this in a year's time or two years time or 10 years time, uh, back in the olden days, a, a virus came along uh, called uh, the coronavirus COVID-19 and it shut down schools for uh, school buildings for uh, five and a half months. Uh, the union, um, their job was to protect its members. Um, they spent um, a lot of uh, the COVID-19 uh, time doing, I suppose, I wouldn't say exactly the opposite, but they uh, certainly um, didn't do a very good job of defending um, teachers' work conditions. Most of the um, safety measures uh, that came along uh, were uh, could be attributed to FORSA, who would be the uh, union for SNAs and secretaries, uh, in terms of uh, PPE equipment and so on. As I'm recording this, um, the we are in a level five lockdown. FORSA had already secured PPE equipment for uh, their members. The INTO had only started um, asking for it. So look, um, I don't like to spend a full episode um, tearing apart um, the very people I need uh, to be to have my back, but I, I suppose what I wanted to do was just explain the things that were happening over the last ten years and why um, you know our conditions have become uh, very very difficult and they've become unmanageable and there's a reason um, and there's I suppose to be fair. The Department of Education, to all the various different organisations have added workload, but no one's been there to stop them.
and ultimately i think the into um have a are at a critical point um in their in their i suppose in their in their history they're 150 years old um, they have a long uh, history of uh, and a proud history but they are really at their very lowest point at the moment uh, where they have um, they have effectively ignored their members wishes for quite some time and um, it is not unlikely that a new union may emerge if they're not careful um, it may not represent all teachers it could be a principal's union it could be a union for lower paid teachers who break away it could be um it could be any manner of things and and that's not a situation i think that many um teachers primary school teachers want we've seen how at second level uh two unions sort of um don't work too well um, it's not it's not something that um, I suppose is, 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 is something you'd want uh, you don't want to have a split between lower paid teachers and non uh, I don't know what you call the opposite of lower paid teachers because that creates animosity between the two unions uh, you don't want a principals union and a teachers union because then again it creates animosity between principals and teachers but the INTO are not representing any of their members right now and what they really need to do is start doing that um, and they have a good chance, um, as I said, we're in the middle of COVID-19. It's a good chance for the INTO really to step up and really show what they can do. They're a very, very powerful entity and they need to start using that power. Okay, so that is it um, for this week. Um, I hope you enjoyed uh, this episode uh, of this podcast. And if you have, I'd love it if you wouldn't mind tuning in regularly when i release these episodes every friday evening at 5 59 um it is um always lovely to get new subscribers to this podcast uh, i had the very great privilege of being the number one uh, education podcast in ireland last week so a huge thank you uh, to everyone for listening to this podcast it's 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 brilliant i mean as i say some people um have uh, pay um for therapy um my therapy is talking to this mic and uh, expressing how i feel um and analyzing what's going on in my own way it's just lovely to know that other people are listening to it whether they agree or not with what i'm saying but all this is about uh, maybe starting conversations and so on if you'd like to subscribe uh, to this podcast you can do so on any of your favorite uh, podcasting apps whether that's spotify apple podcast google podcast guys stitcher all the rest of them uh, there's so many of them now i don't know and uh please if you fancy it please leave a review because I would love uh, other people to find this podcast if they can. Listen, that's it for me for this week. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye now.